Good morning, church. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm still channeling. Hey, there is only one James Moss. We can try, but there is only one James Moss. And boy, am I glad he's my brother. There's, uh, encouragement is a spiritual gift. And James has the spiritual gift of encouragement. Hey, we're glad we're all here today. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here today. You know, I wasn't with you last week, and I missed being here uh, last Sunday. So it's really good for me to be back with you this morning, worshiping God together. We are winding down uh, this series that we've been in. I've called it Meant for More, but really we've been talking about spiritual growth. We've been talking about ways that we can allow God's Spirit to, to flow through us like streams of living water. Now, next Sunday, we're going to be getting a pretty short three-week series leading up to Easter Sunday. And I'm excited about that. I'm going to call it Three Days That Changed the World. And you're going to have a chance starting now to be uh, inviting your friends and, and neighbors and, and family members to join us on Easter Sunday. You've got a better chance of people saying yes to a church invite on that day than any other day of the year. And you can actually start practicing this coming week. You can invite them to join us next Sunday because we're going to celebrate Jesus next Sunday as well. But uh, that's where we're headed. But for this morning, I want to talk to you about another spiritual growth barrier. You know, for the past couple of weeks, I've tried to make this part of the series as practical as I can uh, and talk about some attitudes and some actions that might limit our spiritual growth, might stop those flows, uh, that flow of uh, living water flowing through us. Remember, a couple weeks ago, I talked about anger. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would all say, you know, we all struggle a little bit with dealing with anger issues. And then two weeks ago, I talked about fear and doubt and stress, and, and being anxious. And even though we know God tells us, don't be afraid, be anxious for nothing, Satan is really good at planting those seeds of doubt and, and fear and, and stress into our lives. This morning, I want to talk to you about greed. And some of you might be thinking, oh no, he's going to talk about money. No, I'm not. A little bit I am, but not very much. I want to begin by sharing with you another lesson learned from two of my favorite theologians, Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm not sure you can see that, but Calvin is, is trying really hard to stand on his head. And finally there in the fourth panel, he says, I did it! I did it! And then in the final panel there he says, somehow I imagine this experience would be more rewarding you know, whether we want to admit it or not, we all struggle a little bit with greed. We all struggle with desperately wanting something that we think is going to make us happy. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, usually the question we ask ourselves, we don't ask anyone else this, but we'll ask ourselves when a situation or, or, or something comes up, what's in it for me? How rewarding is this going to be for me? And greed, selfishness, self-indulgence, it's a little bit different than the things we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. Satan is much more subtle when it comes to greed. You know, when you talk about anger, when you talk about fear, 
you sort of wear those on your sleeve, don't you? I mean, if you're around somebody who's really angry, you usually can tell. If you're around somebody who's really stressed out, who's really worried, really fearful, you can usually tell. And we know that in our own lives. If I'm really upset, people know it. If I'm really stressed out, most people know it. But greed sort of festers underneath. And because of that, Sometimes we're a little bit hesitant to even admit that we might struggle with greed in any way. You know, if you were to ask most people, do you struggle with anger issues? Most people would say, mm, yeah, I guess. No, to a certain extent I do. If you were to ask most people, do you ever struggle with being worried and, and stressed out, you know, anxious? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All the time. But if you were to ask most people, do you consider yourself a greedy person? I think most people, including most of us, would say, no. No, I really don't consider myself a greedy person. But when you start to look at what the Bible has to say about greed, and the Bible has a lot to say about it, sometimes it uses a different word. Sometimes it will talk about being, you know, coveting something, but it's the same thing. It's pretty quickly you find out the Bible has a lot to say about greed, and maybe it's more of an issue in my life than I'm willing to admit. I think greed is something that we all struggle with from time to time, because we all have this underlying desire to chase things that we think are going to make us happy. And here's the deal with greed. Here's the deal with me coveting something. It immediately puts me into the comparison game. It immediately causes me to look at you and think, hmm, I like your stuff better than I like my stuff. I start comparing my life to yours. I heard about your vacation. It sounds better than my vacation. Your job seems better than my job. Your spouse seems better than my spouse. Your children seem more better uh, you know, behaved than my children. You know, your life just seems better than my life. So I get the scales out and I put me on one side and you on the other and I'm, I'm kind of the poorer for it. It's going to begin to force me into this thing that we call greed. And of course you throw a little bit of envy in there, a little bit of jealousy, and you throw a tad of entitlement into it and pretty soon my thought process is, I don't just want this, I need this. In fact, I don't just need this, I deserve this. And if I don't take some kind of control, if I don't take some kind of action, I'm not going to have the things that I deserve to have. Which puts me in the center of a very, very tiny universe. Me. My own little world. This morning, I want to real quickly take a look at some things that the Bible has to say about greed and then some strategies that the Bible also offers about how maybe we can start to get a handle, at least, at least recognize the greed that's going on in our lives so that those streams of living water really can begin to, to flow through us. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus himself says there's all kinds of, of greed. Verse 15, Jesus says, Beware, don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. You think that statement has any merit in 2018? Real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. I had someone tell me once, 
I've been rich and I've been poor. And rich is better. But I look at Scripture and, you know, my conclusion is I'm not so sure about that. Because uh, over and over again, I, I see in Scripture that real joy and real happiness and true contentment and fulfillment have very little to do with what we have and have everything to do with who we have. James chapter 5, James, who's really good at telling it like it is, James doesn't pull any punches, says this in verse 5. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Ow. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. James says your life is defined not by what you give to others, not by what you do for others. Your life is defined by what you consume. Jeremiah, the prophet, would write in, in Jeremiah chapter 6, says whether you're the least of society or the greatest of society, Jeremiah says in verse 13 that we all struggle with what he calls greed for gain. Think about that. He's right. Greed for gain. Because all we really want is just a little bit more. Right? If I had just a little bit more, my life would be so much better. And I'd be so much happier. Now, ironically, I know that I've entitled this sermon series Meant for More. But don't confuse the more that God wants us to have with the more that the world is telling us we need. Now you say, if I just had more money, I'd do more with it. If I had more money, I'd be more generous. If I had more money, I'd, do, I'd, I'd, I'd be more giving. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And I don't mean to argue with anyone, but you know, the Bible says if you're not faithful with a little, what makes you think you'll be faithful with a lot? You know, generosity uh, starts on whatever level you're living right now. Jesus is going to use very much the same language that James uh, used when he talks about greed, but Jesus is actually going to be more forceful than James is. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and it should come as no surprise that Jesus is hitting them pretty hard. You know, it seemed like the most uh, aggravated that Jesus got with people were the people that were supposed to be the really religious people of the day, the church people of the day. This is who Jesus was usually most frustrated with. And in chapter 23 of Matthew, uh, really the whole chapter, Jesus is just going off on these Pharisees. Over and over again, he calls them hypocrites. And he says this in verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says it again. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and, and then the outside also will be clean. Jesus tells these very religious people, I don't care how you look on the outside. You don't impress me with your Bible knowledge. I'm not impressed with your temple attendance because I know your heart. And I know that inside you're full of greed, that you're full of self-indulgence. Jesus isn't happy about that. You know, back in Luke 12, he, he talks about these all kinds of greed. What kind of greed do we need to be on guard against? What kind of greed does the Bible talk about? 
Well, obviously there's financial greed. That's what most people think about when we think about greed. Now, I want more stuff. But there's also greed for more power, more acceptance, more popularity. You know, don't, you don't have to spend very much time on social media before you see a lot of people kind of screaming for more attention than they probably deserve. Every time we want people to know how important we are, or how exciting our lives are, or, or, or how cool our days might be, we kind of find ourselves struggling for greed, for power, and acceptance, and influence. There's all kinds of greed. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're all guilty of being greedy. But again, I have not told you one thing that you don't already know. I've used the first ten minutes of my time telling you something you all know. God says, do not covet. You knew that when you walked in here. Thou shalt not covet. It was in the top ten list given to Moses, right? You knew that. The message of today's lesson isn't just don't be greedy. The message for today is how can I allow the Spirit of God to flow through me like streams of living water? And what can I do to help resolve the problem of greed that might interrupt this flow in my soul so that I can grow spiritually? This morning I want to look at four words. If you are taking notes, if you are outlining the sermon, this is going to be so easy for you. Four words that if we think about them, if we meditate on them, if we really do try to live them out, I think will help us stay in step with the Spirit. And the first word is enough. It's a big word. Just stop for a minute and realize what a blessing it is that God has promised us and God has given us enough. Over and over again, that's God's promise to His people. And here's the reality. And, and I might be off on this. I, I, there might be an exception to the rule here today. But for the vast majority of us in this room, we have been given enough from God. You look back at the 23rd Psalm. David begins that psalm by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is my shepherd, I have enough. I don't want for anything. He goes on to say, He makes me lie down by green pastures. Now, I don't know very much about sheep. I've spent a lot of time around cows. And I know that the only time cattle will ever lie down in green pastures is when they feel safe and when they've had enough. It's the only time during the day that a cow will lie down when there's plenty to eat. When they feel safe and when they've had enough. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why? Because I feel safe and I have enough. In the book of Exodus, God's people have been slaves in Egypt and God sends Moses back to lead them out of captivity. And of course, Moses does that with the power of God. But an interesting, interesting thing happens shortly after they leave Egypt. They start remembering all the great restaurants back in Egypt. 
And they start kind of missing all the great food that they had back in Egypt, the leeks and the onions, even though their memory is very skewed about what the reality was back in Egypt. They start complaining to Moses and to God about the, the food situation. So God, in His goodness, sends them this food called manna. And God is very specific about His instructions on how they are to uh, collect this food from heaven. It's in Exodus. Chapter 16. The Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. God says, here's your instructions for the food that I'm giving you. Go out and get enough for today. Gather just what you need. God's promise is, I will provide for you. Every day, I will provide for you. Now provide enough. You know, that same language about the manna shows up again in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. One of the phrases in that prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Give us enough for today. Enough. It's a powerful promise from God. What a blessing. That's your first word. Here's your second word. Content. When is the last time you stepped away from your busy, busy life, sat down, looked around, and just felt contentment? When's the last time you took a deep breath and said, you know what, right now, I am content. The Apostle Paul says this to his friend Timothy. Now, godliness with contentment, that's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Paul tells Timothy, if you have enough, and you do, you should be content. He tells the church in, in Philippi this, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then verse 13 that we always quote, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. We always focus on verse 13, but it's in the context of contentment. The Hebrew writer will say this in Hebrews 13, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Now in that same chapter, the writer is going to say, don't be content with the amount of God that you have. Don't be content with the amount of the Holy Spirit that you have. But when it comes to physical blessings, be content with what you have. It's a big word, contentment. And then the third word, is generous. If you want to get rid of the greed in your heart, you want to open up your soul to the life that God wants you to live, you need to be generous. I know that Randy talked at length about this just last week, but there is absolutely no way you can pick up your Bible. There's no way you can read the Gospels and not come away with the conclusion that Jesus expects His people to be staggeringly generous people. 
You can't read the words of Jesus and not come away with that conclusion. Over and over again, Jesus said, I want you to help. I want you to give. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to encourage. I want you to live your life in a way that other people are blessed. Paul would say this in in 2 Corinthians. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You want to live your life in the flow of the Holy Spirit? Be generous. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Again, we're not meant to be a cul-de-sac of blessings. It all doesn't end here. No, we're a thoroughfare. We're just moving it along. Being greedy and being generous, you can't be both. You just can't. The Holy Spirit says be greedy or be generous on every occasion. Which brings me to my final word, and it's, it's a big word as well. Not a big word in letters, but it, it, it's a big word, and that is grateful. This word, grateful, it packs a nuclear punch. And here's the secret to the word grateful. When you're grateful, you've got to attach a name to it. You've got to be grateful to someone. You don't write a thank you note and put it in the mail with no address on it, no name on it, right? You have to tell someone thank you. You have to tell someone you're grateful. When you look around at your life, the life that you're living, the blessings that you have, who are you saying thank you to? You know, this word should come so naturally to us. God created us. Put us in this world of breathtaking beauty. Not only that, because of our actions, because of our sin, when we've separated ourselves from Him, God gave the best He had. Sent His Son, Jesus, to sacrifice for our sins so that we can have a relationship with Him. I mean, if that doesn't cause you to have this perpetual gratitude in your heart, I don't know what would. Hebrews 12 says this, Let us be thankful then, because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful and worship God in a way that will please Him with reverence and awe. Notice what the writer says goes hand in hand there. Gratitude and worship go hand in hand. You want to combat the greed that Satan is trying to tempt you to to allow into your heart? Just look around and be grateful. We're part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. Be grateful. Worship God with reverence and awe. You know, if you think that the only time we worship God is when we're here together in this room, you are mistaken. Now, what we're doing is worship, for sure. But every time that I show gratitude to God, every time I thank Him for what He's done for me, every time I lift up His name, every time I praise His name, every time I give God the credit for all the good things that are going on in my life, Scripture says I'm worshiping Him. Let me wrap up this morning with a a story. A a writer tells about being on a a plane with a certain lady. She sat in row 14E. He sat in 14D. She was rural. He was urban. She was homey. He was professional. But he says, this woman saw things that I couldn't see. Here's what he wrote. I was in a bad mood. My week had been hectic. The plane was overbooked. 
I wanted to sleep, but I had too much work that I had to get done. And I found myself sitting next to Gomer Pyle's mother. <laughs> oh boy, look at that one, she, she said, pointing to the plane ahead of us on the runway. Is the plane that we're on as big as that plane? Yes, I said. I hoped my brief response would show her I wasn't in the mood for chit-chat. It didn't. I'm on my way to see my son in Dallas. She said, I hope he's okay. He's had a little bit of a stomach bug. He has a brand new dog, a black lab. I don't know if you've ever been around a black lab, but they're such great dogs. She was uncanny. Not only could she add a syllable to every word, but she answered all of her own questions. As we were taking off, however, she got very quiet. For several moments, she said nothing. And then suddenly she made a sound that would call pigs home from the next county. Those trees down there look like peat moss. Every person on the plane turned and stared at my row. What river is that? She asked me. I don't know, I said. So she stopped the stewardess. When the drinks came around, I asked for a Coke. She asked for the list. Twice. When they brought her the drink, she exclaimed that she didn't know that orange juice even came in those tiny cans. And when they brought her a sandwich, she opened the box and said in a voice loud enough for the pilot to hear, why, there's even a little package of mayonnaise in here. When I pulled out my laptop, she was enthralled. Now, isn't that clever? Went on the whole flight. She didn't miss a thing. If she wasn't staring out the window, she was amazed at the in-flight magazine. If she wasn't talking, she was ooing and aahing. She played with her fan. She turned her light on and off. She toyed with the seat belt. She moved the tray up and down. She savored her peanuts. When we went through turbulence, I looked over to be sure she was all right. She was grinning from ear to ear like a kid on a Ferris wheel at the county fair. And about halfway through the flight, he writes, it occurred to me. She's the only one on this plane having fun. <laughs> She's the only person on this entire plane who is enjoying the trip. All of us sophisticated folks, we were too mature to have fun. And as I was staring at a computer screen, eyes tired, head hurting, stressed out, trying to write a message to other stressed out people, I never noticed the message that was sitting right beside me. And I might never have noticed had she not leaned over and said toward the end of the flight, Son, I might be out of place by saying this, but you had your head down this entire trip. You need to put that machine away. Look around a little bit. We just went on an amazing journey. I smiled weakly and mumbled some excuse about needing to get work done before tomorrow, but she wasn't listening. She was squeezing her hands together in excitement as we landed. Wasn't that a fun trip? She asked the same question over and over again to no one in particular. Wasn't that a fun trip? I watched her bounce down the concourse, as curious as a six-year-old. I watched her as long as I could, then turned to go to my next flight but I hope I'd learned a lesson. I was going to look up. I was going to keep my eyes open. It did little good, I decided, to make the trip and miss the amazing journey. It does little good
to make the trip and miss the amazing journey. Joseph Stalin once said that gratitude is a sickness suffered by mad dogs and simple-minded men. He could not have been more wrong. Four times in Psalm 107 we read, Give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds towards men. Give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds towards men. Give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds towards men. Give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds towards men. I think we tend to forget that joy and peace and and fulfillment and happiness, all the things that we long for, all the things that we truly want, don't come as a result of getting something that we don't have. It comes as a result of recognizing and appreciating the things that we've already been given. Greed, covetousness, there's no place in the heart of a Christian for those things. God has given us enough. With what God has given, we need to learn to be content. And we need to learn to practice generosity in our lives, wherever we might be. And we need to be grateful. Four words. Enough, content, generous, grateful. To remind us that God wants His Spirit to flow through us like streams of living water. And that's the lesson today. As always, as a church family, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. Maybe something's happened to you this week. You just really need the prayers of people who love you. We'd love to pray with you and for you if we can. Maybe there's something else going on in your, in your life you just need to share with your church family. There'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium to meet you here. If we can help you in any way, won't you come? Let's stand and sing.